Welcome to ABC Behavior Training's podcast, where our goal is disseminating the science of ABA to everyday behavior analysts. We do this through resources like our BCBA planners, hour tracking sheets, report writing package, and more, through education, such as our masterclass courses on topics ranging from parent training to improving staff retention, and through our supervision program, which serves students earning their fieldwork hours, as well as new or established BCBAs looking for mentorship. Be sure to check it all out at abcbehaviortx.com. I am your host and founder and CEO of ABC Behavior Training, Melissa Druskis. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, thank you for joining Behavior Crew's live podcast tonight. Whether you are listening live on Facebook or on a replay or recording on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, or YouTube, wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can get CEUs for tonight's discussion. If you are a pro-level member of the Behavior Crew, you get all of these CEUs for free, plus tons of resources, live webinars with CEUs, and more. Even for free members, you get the first podcast every month for free. Each month, we'll discuss a new topic relevant to the field of ABA, and this month's topic, we are talking about antecedent interventions. Next month, for July 2023, we'll be covering the topic of supervision, with every single podcast and our live webinar will be for supervision CEUs. So if you are needing any supervision CEUs, be sure to join the Behavior Crew right now at abcbehaviortx.com. Also, if you missed all of the amazing content we covered this month talking about antecedent interventions, you can purchase the entire monthly package, which includes all of our newsletters, this month's themed therapy materials, a recording of our CEU on CMORs, CEUs for this month's journal article, and all podcasts along with CEUs for every single episode. It will also include the Q&A questions and the monthly themed resource, which is the Antecedent Intervention Workbook. That's over three CEUs, all about antecedent interventions, plus a ton of other related resources for only $40. That's over $100 worth of content for $40. So check it out by going to abcbehaviortx.com, then going to Join the Crew. And if you're not already subscribed to our mailing list, please do that right now. We are having some huge sales coming up for July, and it's only shared with our exclusive subscribers. So this month, we have already talked about non-contingent reinforcement, how to reduce CMORs in your therapy sessions, graduated exposure and desensitization, and for our last topic this month, we'll be covering antecedent interventions for automatically reinforced behaviors. So before we get started, let's go over some basics to start off with. So I used to be in a position where I supervised BCBAs and I had to read their reports before they got sent to insurance. And one of my biggest pet peeves was seeing people consistently call their interventions for automatically reinforced behaviors sensory extinction when they were not using extinction. Funny enough, the person who kept doing this repeatedly got promoted to be the clinical director. So... Um, So first, what are we talking about when we say automatically reinforced behaviors or sensory behaviors or sensory maintained behaviors, however you want to call it? These are behaviors where some aspect of the behavior reinforces itself. 
Now, it's easy for us to automatically think that a kid that's banging their head on the wall or biting their nails or spinning in circles is just automatically reinforced behaviors. But we do not determine the function by the topography of the behavior. And I feel like with automatically reinforced behaviors, that's where this happens a lot. I have seen all of those behaviors be maintained by things other than automatic reinforcement, which usually is attention. But sometimes it can also be escape or tangible. So think about it. Even if it might start as automatic, what is a parent going to do when their kid starts whacking their head on the wall? They're going to run over and give attention. What are you doing? Why are you doing that? Please stop it. Um, uh, no parent's going to ignore that. So have this happen enough times and then you're going to create a multiply controlled behavior of automatically reinforced behavior and also attention maintained behavior. So first, do the work. Conduct an FA to determine the function of your behavior. Now for the intervention. If you are ever using the term sensory extinction or ex extinction in general, you have to be sure that you are actually using extinction. So in extinction, the behavior has to occur and have no reinforcing consequence. If you are preventing the behavior from occurring, you are not using extinction. Because again, I'm going to say that one more time. If your intervention stops or prevents the behavior from occurring, or you intervene at some point before the behavior completely occurs, you are not using extinction. So this is really hard to do for many automatically reinforced behaviors, because if you allow the behavior to occur, then it's going to get reinforced because it's not socially mediated. So one example could be if you have a client that scratches at their arm to feel the nails um, on their skin, you could have them wear like arm pads or like a thick long sleeve shirt to stop that feeling or even cut their nails really short. But even that brings into a question that we have about automatically reinforced behaviors that can make this even more complicated, and that is what is the reinforcing aspect of the behavior? So in this example, if that reinforcing aspect is the feeling of nails on skin, then that might work to extinguish the behavior. Um, you know, they go to scratch their skin, they engage in the behavior, and they don't get the reinforcement. They don't get that feeling of nails on skin. So behavior occurred, reinforcement did not occur. If the client goes to pick their hand up to touch their arm to scratch it and you move in immediately to block their hand from making contact with their skin, that is not extinction because the behavior did not occur. But what you have to think about when we're talking about what is the reinforcing aspect is with this example, um, I'm saying that the reinforcing aspect is the feeling of the nails on their skin. But how do we really know that? Um, it could be uh, the feeling of their fingers or the hand in the scratching motion. And if that's the case, if it's like this that they are liking or that movement, then blocking the scratching won't work because you're not actually blocking what's reinforcing. So hopefully you can begin to see how complicated it can be 
to place automatically reinforced behaviors on extinction. Because how many times is the client actually going to tell you, like, oh, I do this because I like this particular feeling. Even with our own behavior, sometimes it's hard to know why we engage in an automatically reinforced behavior. We do it because we like it. We don't really know exactly what part of it it is that we like. So it's kind of the same thing with nail biting. Because um, there's so many different things when you really look at the behavior of nail biting there's so many things going on so does the client like the feeling of the biting on their skin um, do they like the feeling of just having really short nails with no nails do they like the feeling of the little pieces of the nail in their mouth there's so many different aspects that really as you can see working to extinguish this and automatically reinforced behaviors can be really challenging at the best of times and impossible at the worst of times. So that brings us to antecedent interventions. Now, antecedent interventions for automatically reinforced behaviors are going to come before the behavior occurs or at least irrespective of the occurrence of the problem behavior. And it's going to work by breaking the contingency between the behavior and the reinforcement. So one method of doing this is through non-contingent reinforcement of competing stimuli. So a competing stimuli is not necessarily a preferred item. It's just something that competes with the occurrence of the problem behavior. So to identify a competing stimuli, you'll want to do a competing stimuli assessment, which is a little similar to a preference assessment. First, you're going to identify items that the client may have low problem behaviors with and high engagement with, or potentially items that could have a similar action or function as the incompatible, as like an incompatible behavior. So, you know, depending on what is reinforcing that behavior, give them something to do that's similar. So for those similar actions, I've used things like a fidget ring spinner for skin picking around the nails. Um, I don't know how much of this you can see, but if you have a client that's, you know, picking the skin around their nails um, and you put a ring on their finger, one of those spinning rings, instead of doing this, they can spin the ring um, and that's going to give them, a, you know, a similar sensation. It's not identical, but that's something that could potentially be used as a competing stimuli because same location, same fingers, um, really easy for them to switch from doing one thing to the other. Um, or you could use, uh, if you have a client that is mouthing inappropriate items, so like putting toys and whatever things in their mouth uh, that could potentially be dangerous, having some sort of replacement for that. Um, so you could use like a teething or a silicon uh, chewing item or anything, anything like that. And that could potentially be your competing item. Um, or I even, even had a client, um, and this one was, was definitely thinking outside the box, um, but I had a client that would pick at their clothing until there were loose threads and then pull all the threads, essentially ruining their clothes. And I mean, like they would go to school in a t-shirt and then by the end of the day, they couldn't wear that shirt again. So it was, it was, a, it was a lot of picking. Um, and for that, we worked on using like loosely woven fabric that had, you know, strings or threads already, already available. So for things like that, you know, it might be thinking about like a DRI um, of an incompatible behavior and you, you can do that and that's going to be a consequence-based intervention um, and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, at the end of this podcast. But even that, like 
you still would have to place the behavior on extinction and that can be difficult. So when we're talking about these, these can be some incompatible behaviors maybe or an alternative behavior, but we're still talking about using this antecedently as a potential competing stimulus. So really sometimes, especially for these automatically reinforced behaviors, you really need to get creative. You really need to look at what's going on, look at the components that could be reinforcing this behavior, um, and think outside the box of things that you could potentially use in this competing stimulus assessment. So just because you've identified this and you're like, this is the exact same behavior, let's go with it. If you're trying to do competing stimulus, you still need to do the assessment. So once you've identified several potentially competing items, you'll need to conduct the assessment. So you'll want to do uh, set interval times with one interval being no stimuli um, to just take baseline data on the target behavior. So how often is it happening when there's no potentially competing stimuli? And then do other intervals with one potential competing stimuli each interval that you do. So for each interval, you'll want to take data on the instances of the target behavior and the engagement with the competing stimuli. So again, that's going to be how often in this interval with this potential competing stimuli, with this item that I have, how often are they engaging in the problem behavior and how often are they engaging with this competing stimulus? So depending on what the behavior is, you might be taking duration data or you might be taking frequency data. Um, Whichever is fine, of course, that's going to determine on what that behavior is. Now, the item that has the highest level of engagement with the lowest levels of problem behavior can be used as your competing stimuli. And I am including uh, for this podcast, for everyone listening today, a freebie, which is going to be the competing stimuli assessment sheet. This, uh, this freebie is going to help you take data on all of this information and compare it across each interval. So if you're listening live, be sure to go to abcbehaviortx.com. Um, go there tomorrow because it takes a minute for me to upload a recording. Um, but click on the podcast, select this podcast, and then you can download it from there once I have the recording posted. Otherwise, if you are listening to this not live, um, really on any of those venues that I mentioned earlier, wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, you should find the link in the description of this episode. So now you're going to take this competing stimuli, that thing you identified from that assessment, and you're going to use it in a non-contingent reinforcement schedule. So if you need a refresher on how to implement non-contingent reinforcement, I don't want to go over it all again here because I've already done an episode on that. So be sure to check out my podcast, episode three, which is all about non-contingent reinforcement. I'm not describing it. That's the title of it. The title is all about non-contingent reinforcement. And in that one, we're going to cover um, everything that has to do with non-contingent reinforcement, including why that's a horrible name, um, and most importantly, implementation. So how are you going to implement this with your client, pick the schedule and the timings and all of that. So be sure to check that out if you do need a refresher uh, on how to implement a non-contingent reinforcement schedule, because that's essentially what you're going to do. You're going to provide this competing stimuli on this non-contingent reinforcement schedule and the thing you're going to provide, you know, when your timer goes off, when whatever that schedule is, is this competing stimuli. Now, if it is something that is not really 
invasive to the environment, uh, like those ring fidget spinners. Um, you know, that's, that's something that you don't have to really provide. The client can just use it and then they could just stay on a continuous schedule um, because it's, it's not something that is distracting or interfering with their learning. Um, so just depending on what that looks like will kind of depend on how you want to use that um, non-contingent reinforcement schedule. So as we know, all about antecedent interventions, um, really after this month where we have talked all about it, um, this is not going to produce a long-lasting change. Antecedent interventions produce momentary change. That's what they do. You need consequence-based interventions to have that long-lasting change. But when you can't implement a consequence intervention with these automatically reinforced behaviors, either because it's extremely difficult or impossible, um, this is at least something you can do to reduce the behaviors in the moment. So that might be times when it's really not appropriate for the client to engage in problem behavior like at school or really all the time if it's something that's dangerous. But it is unlikely to be an intervention that you can just thin this schedule until the behavior is gone completely. That is highly unlikely to happen. So just keep that in mind. We do want to use antecedent interventions. This is a great tool, and you might not be able to use a consequence intervention, but you're not really necessarily going to get to the point where you're starting on a dense schedule, schedule with this competing stimuli and thinning that time and thinning it until you're like, awesome, we don't have to use this anymore. That's not likely to happen unless you're also using it alongside a consequence intervention. So another antecedent intervention that I want to touch on is using restraints and then fading out the appetitive features of the restraint. Now, using restraints is similar to using punishment in that it is not something you want to do with all of your clients or anything like that without some special consideration, consent, and approval procedures. So this is going to be for more severe behaviors. You might even work in a setting where you just never encounter these. And that's fantastic. But unfortunately, there are behaviors that are severe enough that they could cause physical damage to the client. And the risks of, you know, using restraints, looking at that, um, you know, risk-benefit analysis, it may be more beneficial for the client to have some sort of restraint. And it doesn't mean, of course, that we're restraining all of their movement or anything like that. Um, it's just restraining the ability to engage in this automatic behavior. Again, that can be for somebody that is like biting their skin until it bleeds, um, causing tissue damage. Um, Again, there can be very, very severe and damaging behaviors out there, and that is what we're talking about. Um, if you have a kid that's like hand flapping, we're not restraining them. Um, even if you have a kid that's like scratching their skin, but it doesn't really break their skin or there's no risk of infection or anything like that, again, you're not likely going to use a restraint for that. So keep in mind, this is for very severe behaviors. So the goal with this intervention is to fade out some feature of the restraint. So that can be either like the size of the restraint, the amount of pressure, um, some other fish, other feature of it. Because uh, also we're not really talking about like some person restraining um, the client. We're more so talking about, um, I'm trying to think, like, like a helmet. Uh, if somebody is hitting their head on the wall, um, or, you know, it could even be, 
uh, like if somebody is biting their arm, some sort of like shoulder pad or something like that where it like really stops them from doing that. So that's really what we're talking about. I'm not talking about like a physical restraint from another person. So you're going to pick some feature of this and you're going to start fading out that feature. And ultimately, it would be ideal to get through the restraint to actually not even be restraining, but more like a prompt to indicate to the client that reinforcement to engage in that behavior is not available. So, you know, they may start out with this restraint that truly does restrain their ability to engage in this automatically reinforced behavior, but by using this antecedent intervention, the restraint might be just like some little piece of it or like something that is in no way restraining, but because you have faded it and they have this, um, you know, through this intervention, you've broken that contingency that engaging in the behavior doesn't equal the reinforcement, uh, then, you know, you could just use this small piece of it more as a prompt and less as a restraint because at that point it's no longer restraining. So again, what that looks like is going to be super specific to your client. I do encourage you to think outside the box when you're looking at how are you going to fade this because we don't want to use restraints. And even if you do have a situation where you have to use restraints for the safety of your client, you want to have something in place, a plan in place to try and fade those restraints because that's not something functional for the rest of their life that they're going to go around with a helmet on or whatever it is. We want to look at a plan to reduce it so they are no longer having to use this restrictive procedure. So although this episode is really about antecedent interventions, as we've talked about this whole month, I also want to touch on one other potential consequence intervention for automatically reinforced behaviors, and that is DRO without extinction. Now, DRO, by definition, includes extinction. Um, you are reinforcing on a time-based schedule literally any behavior except for that target behavior. But sometimes that's really not possible for automatically reinforced behaviors. Uh, so that's when you end up having DRO without extinction. Of course, if you can use extinction, do it. But as we've talked about with this, that's not always possible. So if you do use DRO, you'll want to reinforce with whatever is maintaining the behavior, if you know what that is. Again, many times you may not. But if you don't know, then just use a very strong alternative reinforcer. So like their absolute favorite, you know, most motivating reinforcer that they have. And then you'll want to use a really dense schedule if extinction isn't possible. But even if you do all of this, it still might not be very effective. So just keep that in mind because DRO really does need to be used without extinction, but you can potentially provide this, you know, reinforcement schedule on, you know, this time-based schedule that is contingent on the problem behavior. Um, and again, if, you know, look up DROs, but if, you know, they engage in that problem behavior, of course, you're going to like stop your timer, restart your time, and then it's going to take them longer to access that reinforcement. And there's uh, several different methods of doing a DRO. So definitely check that out. Google that. I'm sure I will have a podcast about that coming up sometime in the future. Um, but make sure that you are using whatever is the best method for your client and the behavior that they have. Now, one final point I want to make before you run out and start intervening on all automatically reinforced behaviors 
is the ethical considerations. So is the behavior that you're trying to target actually a problem? If you have a client that is hand flapping and the parents really want you to stop that behavior, unless it's impacting their ability to learn or socialize, I'm not going to intervene. We all have automatically reinforced behaviors from tapping our foot or clicking a pen or biting our nails or whatever it is. And these behaviors might annoy other people, but we still have the right to do them. And so do our clients. So if you have a client that hand flaps and they are highly verbal and can participate in everything in the environment and they have friends and socialize, but the hand flapping is causing them some social stigma, then and only then I might intervene. But instead of trying to stop the behavior, I would teach them how to reduce the intensity of it or to do it in a way that, you know, it's not super obvious or to do it in specific places, like only do it at home, but don't do it at school. But even then, it would have to be with the client's consent and desire to work on it. And yes, that even includes if the client is a child. So if the client's fine with it, even if like, they're verbal and their friends are like, why are you doing that? Um, if they're fine with it, then great, you can keep doing it. If that's something that they wish that they didn't do as much in front of their friends because of some social stigma, then great, I will I will help them work on that. Um, but so many times I see automatically reinforced behaviors uh, get into a program and you work on reducing it because the parents don't like them doing it. Um, and unfortunately, that's not going to be a reason for me to stop somebody from engaging in a behavior that is self-reinforcing, um, really, as long as everything's safe. You know, if they are not hurting themselves and they're not hurting others, and if the behavior isn't that one thing that is interfering with their learning and socialization, then it's not a challenging behavior. It might be an annoying behavior, um, but if it's you know, not interfering with like them learning in the classroom or like their their classroom learning. If somebody is like screaming, yeah, we're going to work on that because that's not functional. But, you know, if it's something like they hand flap when they get excited, we're not going to work on that. So thank you guys so much for joining me today. Be sure to head over to abcbehaviortx.com to subscribe to our emails and include, um, our emails are going to include relevant therapy tips, tips, uh, exclusive sales, um, things that are really relevant to you. So definitely do that so you can get those newsletters, you can get all those tips. And if you do need to maintain your CEUs, make sure that you sign up for our membership by selecting join the, the crew. Now, the pro membership is going to get everything, but even our free membership includes some CEUs. So you definitely should check that out so you can, can access those uh, for free. Um, and be sure to join me next week on Thursday at 9 p.m. Central Standard Time on the ABC Behavior Training Facebook page. If you are not following that page, be sure to go follow that page because that's where all the live podcasts are coming out from. Um, and that's when our next one's going to be, where we are going to start covering the topic of supervision. And again, remember, first podcast of the month, free members of the Behavior Crew will get CEUs for that. So if you're not a member, Go join so you can get free CEUs for next week's podcast. All right. Thank you, guys, and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for joining me today. Remember, if you are interested in getting CEUs for this podcast, 
head on over to abcbehaviortx.com and you can purchase podcast CEUs individually under the podcast tab or become a member of the behavior crew and get two podcast CEUs per month for free for all paying members. Be sure to contact me with any questions or suggestions and I'll see you again next time. Have a great week.